Hello, everybody, and welcome to the PTF podcast, The JumpNet. I am uh, your host, Lance Corporal Jacob Pearson, and I'm here with Sergeant Paul George, who uh, he was previously our uh, one of our Zeus's in S3 operations. Um, would you like to tell the people at home a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so like you were saying, uh, on the new iteration of the Paramarine Task Force, um, I came in as a Zeus. I did that for a little while and then went to go back to the infantry. Uh, eventually, I was the platoon sergeant for LAR. Um, and I was also in the original iteration of the Paramarine Task Force, the platoon sergeant for first platoon um, at, at some point, which was the infantry platoon. Um, and now I'm back to Zeusing. Um, and a little bit about me in real life. Uh, I'm in the Army Reserve uh, as an intelligence analyst, and uh, I own my own uh, government defense procurement company, um, which basically does uh, equipment and firearms, and a lot of people have heard me talk about it, and uh, I've gotten a lot of pointers in the unit as well. So, um, yeah, a lot going on with me, but uh, that's who I am. Yep, and... um... I mean, you mentioned that you have definitely filled in a lot of roles, um, things like uh, being a platoon sergeant, and uh, now you're Zeus again for the PTF. Um, but um, what is a Zeus? Um, yeah, so a Zeus is uh, basically the mission. Uh, I don't want to say the mission creator, uh, but think of it like if you play D and D or Dungeons and Dragons. They're like the game master, okay? And we're kind of, we kind of create the world. Um, we create the backstory. We create all that that goes uh, into the experience that somebody has. Um, and we can, we do that on the back end. We set it up for the PSO operators to go out and um, recon before the operations happen. We need to make sure that it makes sense and it's uh, like a cohesive story. So like if they saw something on Friday when they go out, we need to make sure that that is there on Sunday or that we can explain why it's not there. Um, on the Sundays, uh, which are our op days, um, we do more of the real-time control uh, in terms of like, you know, tactical movements of the troops, of the enemy troops, uh, civilian role play interactions, um, assisting with any mission errors um, that Blue 4 may have, Blue 4 being the paramarines. Um so yeah, that's kind of all encompassing of, of what we do as as Zeus's. And um S3 operations, what is that? So S3 operations, we are the third staff shop uh for the PTF, obviously. That's what uh, S3 stands for. Um but basically it is just a staff shop that encompasses all of the uh the Zeus's. Um so currently that is uh myself, um Thunder and Danger. Um, and, uh, yeah, it basically just encompasses all the Zeus's and we do the responsibilities that I, that I said before. Great. And, um, I mean, as a Zeus, um, what do you think that the craziest thing that, so you, you, you kind of, uh, said that Zeusing is similar to being a game master in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and obviously in D and D, um, a lot of times, the 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 dungeon master ends up kind of uh 
having to go through a whole different situation than they had previously imagined. Um, like, for instance, a player decided to, you know, uh, shoot a civilian and uh, plant a firearm on said civilian. Um, how have these things changed? Um, you, you know, changed your sort of job and changed the way that you've previously thought that the um, operation was going to go. That's a very specific uh, example. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like anyone's been investigated before. No. no. Um, so, so kind of like how I was talking about before with uh, my backstory. Uh, you know, I'm in the Army Reserve as an intelligence anal- as an intelligence analyst. One of our functions as an intelligence analyst in the Army Reserve or in the Army in general is something called red hatting. And red hatting is a concept that basically it is not our job as analysts to really like focus on what are the friendlies are doing or what the blue four is doing. That's the officer's jobs. Otherwise they, you know, we wouldn't need officers. We just have analysts telling the, the fucking units what to do. Right. So uh, going into Zeusing, uh, at least the first time and the second time, I'm trying to do it a little bit more, but um uh, I already had the mentality of being dynamic. And I got that because I've been on numerous uh, army war games before. Um, so the concept of people being dynamic and making their own decisions is is not new to me. And I, I prefer that because when something is very linear, like most other units do, it's very boring. Uh, and you get into a, a, a play loop that, Everyone in the unit and the unit itself is just always winning. They're unstoppable. They never make any, they never make any like issues. And that's really not what warfare is. And I feel like that's really not what the paramarines are targeting. We are targeting being not the most realistic, but more realistic, um, kind of a, a happy medium between uh, casual and um, professional. But I really do enjoy when we have paramarines that will do something that affects the mission entirely. And people know that some of the missions that I've done in the beginning, in the beginning months of the PTF, they had impact on the entire campaign, depending on the decisions that they made, depending on whether they killed or captured this high value target or whether they found that piece of intelligence or didn't find that piece of intelligence. And that can change the entire course of the campaign and really just completely that one piece of intelligence can make the whole operation a whole lot easier. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, and it can and, go either way. And it's really yeah. our job as a, it's our job as game masters to try to be as unbiased as possible. It's, 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 it's difficult. Um, but in, at the end of the day, for me, I'm just targeting realism. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, how you guys win or how you lose. It's just what, for me, it's just whether it's realistic, but that, that also goes into different zoo styles and all that sort of thing. And how do you, how would you say that the PTF does on creating that realism that you're talking about? Um, Obviously you are a little bit biased in this, uh, given the fact that you're one of the people who creates the, uh, the realism. Um, But just in general, even back when you were uh, Zeus, you know, um, do you feel like the PTF does a good job of creating that realism? Um, and 
from zero being the worst and 10 being the best, how would you score that we do on creating that realism? Um, currently, I really have to think about this because it's, it, it's kind of been fluid. Um, yeah. I feel like when we first started, it was a lot more realistic than it's been now. Currently, I'd say it's more like a, like a, a six, maybe a seven. Um, but again, that has to do with different Zeusing styles, different commanders coming in, different sergeants and the squad leaders. Um, so that's all going to have an impact on the realism that, that the, the unit has. You don't necessarily want to be a number 10 where, you know, you're saluting all your officers. Yes, sir. No, sir. And, and all that stuff. You don't necessarily yeah. want to be a number 10. Um, Hyper realism definitely can kind of uh, it can kind of make the game not be fun anymore, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. There's but a reason all, why the army and the marines have a pretty low retention rate. Yeah, and and but there are some things that uh, I feel that we can improve on um, as S three, but also as commanders and as structure wise to kind of target getting more to that seven or eight for realism. Uh, Definitely. Definitely, I would like to, and you know, stop me here if you don't want me to talk about this. Um, but I would definitely like to see officers in the PTF being more officers and presenting plans that are based on doctrine, uh, trying to attack the enemy based on the enemy doctrine, which is something that we as a staff shop have to enable. Um, Definitely. I'm not going to say too much, um, but hopefully we should be seeing something like that moving forward. That would be fantastic. Um, and that would definitely bump us up to a seven or eight on that realism scale, just because in real life officers do have to end up uh, doing that sort of thing. And, um, and I, I'm not sure how that's going to work. And obviously I'm not going to talk on, on it either. This is my, the first time I'm really hearing about it. Um, so I'm not just going to, I don't want to make any promises. Yeah. I'm not, uh, yeah. you know, I am a sergeant, but I'm not, you know, the one who makes the decisions. Um, but I, I do have a little bit of an influence in uh, stuff like that. And I would really like to see more of it. So definitely. And um, I mean, S3 does a great job of cre- uh, creating that realism. Um, I mean, there's all, there's always missives running around and, uh, I remember one of my first runs with, with a civilian, and it wasn't that great. Um, but it was it was a civilian that was obviously being Zeus controlled, and you know he, he was wanting to do this and that and this and that and trying to help us out. You know, uh, he's trying to help out the Americans or liberating them, blah blah blah. And uh, I mean, it creates one of those real world scenarios where you have to be careful about what you say, because um, obviously you don't. It's all about hearts and minds. Um, and you'd want to make sure that they aren't getting, you know, butthurt about you not wanting them to fight. Um, and I mean, really, it's just one of those, uh, interesting scenarios where you have to be careful about what you say and, um, you have to know what you're doing to kind of get around starting an incident. I want to, uh, I want to comment on that real quick too. Yep. Um, a really interesting thing and something that a lot of people have to remember um, as well. And let me just 
let me just move this window over to this side real quick. But anyway, um, something that is very interesting, I find, is that as Zeus's and like when we remote control the civilians and things of that nature, we have to kind of disconnect ourselves from that interaction and almost role play as that person in that scenario. <clears throat> so like, for example, let's say I really don't like you or something like that. If I'm a civilian, I still need to role play as if, if I'm trying to get something from you or if yeah. I'm trying to work with you to accomplish a mission, like I'm not going to try to sabotage that that comes into that not being biased um, scenario. But also another really important thing that I feel like we do a little bit better than other units is representing different cultures and uh, different scenarios. Like sometimes in our missions, you'll come across uh, civilians or soldiers um, that will not speak English and you'll yeah. just have no way of communicating with them unless you have somebody that actually speaks that language. Um, so there's things like that, that you, that I feel like we do really well that you wouldn't experience in, uh, in other units. Do you actually know that language that you're speaking as the, uh, as the Zeus? Uh, so for me personally, sometimes I do, sometimes <clears throat> I don't, um, like, uh, for example, Russian, I, I speak very little, uh, Russian. Um, so like, for example, uh, which basically means I speak Russian a little bit. Um, but most of the times, no, we'll probably be using like a Google translator or something and then trying to pronounce mm -hmm. the words as best we can. But uh, that's kind of like a little bit of a behind the curtains thing. But yeah, we, we want to give you guys a genuine experience. So we're tr we try our best. It's better than just experience. It's better than just encountering every single person speaking English, you know? Of course. And um, I've never really thought about that sort of a thing. And I, I have actually ran into a few um, civilians that didn't speak English. And um, I had no idea what to do. Nobody in my uh, squad uh, knew how to, you know, speak that language. Um, and I mean, it, it makes perfect sense that you, you know, at least try and speak that language a little bit in case of somebody there actually does know how to speak to that uh, civilian. Um, that's some really cool behind the scenes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so Zeus is, I mean, are very uh very essential for creating that sort of uh cr creating that world the world building around the um the campaign and the operation um have there really like been any any times where you struggled to do world building um just because of uh either actions that you didn't think were going to be happening um like you, you, you think that it's going to be very easy to spot a very important piece of Intel that nobody sees and everybody just walks straight past. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've definitely experienced that in the past and I want to take us back to like the first time that the first or second time that we went to Afghanistan. I think it was the first time. Um, so the first time that we went to Afghanistan. Uh, it was kind of based a little bit in reality. Uh, uh, obviously, we say Afghanistan because we don't want to say, you know, Af Afghanistan. But I'm going to say it here. It's been long enough. Um, and it's it's kind of a little silly. But anyway, um, so when we did Afghanistan, when I was in charge of S3, we were setting up Klaf – I was setting up Afghanistan to be kind of like 
how it is in real life in terms of the Taliban being funded by our near peers. So some people may not know what near peer is or a global power competitor, but near peer global power competitor basically means a country that the United States is competing with on the global stage. So you're thinking about Russia, you're thinking about China, you're thinking about Iran, um, those, those sorts of countries. And those are all mostly regional powers, but they're still trying to compete with us in, in parts of the globe. Um, so I was basically setting it up based on reality that the Taliban are being funded by other countries. The Taliban are being funded by Russia or China, kind of like how we're doing with the Ukrainians in Ukraine or how we did with the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Um, there was intel that basically suggested um, that the, I think we, we called them the tacky ban or something. I can't remember uh, that faction. The terrorist faction was being funded uh, by, I believe Russia. It was, be- they were being funded by Russia, but also China, but China's equipment was being shipped later. Like they had found some intel that said that China's equipment was being shipped later. Um, and basically we were setting up that campaign to transition into a Chinese campaign afterwards based on the intelligence that was found in the first campaign. So eventually when the paramarines would take over Afghanistan the first time and transition to a more, um, a more friendly government, um, that the Chinese would become involved uh, in the Pacific, basically, and declare war on the United States and say, okay, we're going to fight you in the Pacific um, because you're meddling in our world affairs um, and go there. But... Um, what ended up happening was that we went to the Columbia campaign and that just had to do with uh, overarching decision from battalion staff that decided to, that they wanted to do the Columbia campaign instead of the China campaign. So at that time we were running campaigns at uh, eight week intervals, which we don't do that anymore necessarily. Uh, campaigns kind of just run until we feel that we're comfortable with it. Um, but at that time it was a hard eight week limit. And uh, basically I had two weeks. I had two. So that's only two ops. I had two ops to influence the paramarines uh, to kind of connect the drug trade in Afghanistan to like Colombia and have to go to Colombia because the drugs in Afghanistan are coming from Colombia or the drugs in Afghanistan are going to Colombia, something of that nature. So that was a really big time crunch. And that was something that really threw me for a loop that I had to be prepared to be dynamic uh, for as, as a Zeus, because it completely changed everything that we had planned at the time. For sure. Um, and that kind of ties to my next question. Um, so obviously operations are tied into the campaign, but are, are, can, are all the campaigns tied into each other? Um, that was definitely a goal that uh, I was trying to pursue when I was in charge of S3. But it's not necessarily something that is true now, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's just a change in it's a change in the the leadership philosophy. So if they don't want campaigns that are connected within each other, or if they just want campaigns uh, specific types, like let's say a lot of people are saying, "Well, you know, I want to go fight unconventional," which means like insurgencies and stuff. I want to go fight unconventional. Well, we'll give we'll give them an un- unconventional campaign. Um, or I want to go desert or, or tropical or whatever, Th- uh, things of, of, of those natures. 
I see. Um, and so basically what, what you're saying is that nowadays is more oriented towards what we want uh, rather than what would be going on in the world that was being built. Um, and uh, honestly, I can't say which one's better. Um, I'm fairly new to the PTF. I wasn't there when you were uh, ahead of S3 uh, in, in COSC. Um, but I can definitely say that pretty much every operation I've been to has been pretty great. Um, but I do have a, a question. Um, did you ever get to do that Chinese op? We did do the Chinese op. Um, but yes, but that was, uh, I wasn't actually orchestrating that at that time. I had decided it'd be better for me to go back to the infantry. Mm-hmm. Um, so Petty was actually uh, the second in command of S3 at the time, and he was learning. So I basically transitioned the reins over to him, and then he did the China campaign, and I actually got to experience it from the ground, from how most people did. And what I can say is that uh, the China campaign was very fun. Petty, Petty, if you're listening to this, you did very, very good um, on that campaign, and I definitely enjoyed it and appreciated it. So I would say the China campaign from my experience on the ground uh, has probably been one of the best campaigns that I've experienced on the ground in the unit. The, and to think that could have been China tied campaign. into the, uh, the Afghanistan, sorry, not Afghanistan, uh, the the Afghanistan operation. Yes. To think that it could have been tied in. Um, so as well as that, um, what types of operations would you say that uh, S3 will end up creating? Um, is it just things like uh, go and take that hill, um, take this town, and defend it from insurgents or whatever? Or is yeah. it more in depth? Uh, things like patrol ops, um, things like um, trying to um, get intel from HVT, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the examples that you that you have given are examples that are typical in the ARMA community. And what I mean by that is those are examples that are typical in your everyday units. I, when I think of things, I try to think of them differently. And I'd like to present, I'd like to give you guys different experiences that you won't be able to get in other units because they don't have the capacity to do them. Um, we're, we're, for me, I like to think more macro versus micro. So, and what I mean by that is when I am planning a campaign, Personally, uh, I try to create a strategic map where basically the Zeus's have access to it and it has the locations of all the op four units that will be present in the campaign on it. And it also has uh, all of the intelligence uh, or a link to the intelligence that can be found that kind of arcs the story. So if you've ever seen like like an author writing a book, uh, let's say it's like an interactive, let's say it's like an interactive uh visual novel or whatever that you play on steam or something like that, like walking dead. Um, you have dynamic choices that you can make that will influence the, uh, the story. But the good thing with Arma is that we can go even more dynamic where if we use our tools out of game to kind of orchestrate our thoughts, you guys can really attack anywhere on the map and have a dynamic campaign. Now that's not necessarily how it is, uh, anymore. Um, but it is something that we have the capability to do because we've done it before. Um, 
does does that make sense? So like for example, it, it yeah, let me let me explain a little more. So for example, let's say there's three air bases on a map. Uh you guys will send out PSO or you'll request some form of intelligence that may be an out of game intelligence asset. So like a drone for example. Now, we as game masters have to kind of balance and make sure that that's actually going to be fun um, for the operation or that you have a realistic way to actually gain that intel without doing it in game. But if we give you that piece of intel, we may give you a drone, we may give you drone cameras of all three air bases. And then now you as Blue 4 have to decide which of those three air bases you want to go to based on what you saw on the drone so you can get more of an understanding of what units are there so that you can determine as officers or as a unit where on the map you you want to go does does that make sense so it's you're driving you're driving the op really we're just making the world it's your campaign you're just trying to make like all the dumb decisions we make uh make sense in the long run I, I wouldn't necessarily call them dumb decisions, but they could be wrong decisions. I mean, I won't say yeah. that they're all correct. Let's say, you know, let's say on the drone camera footage, the biggest airfield, uh, you can only see two jets there, right? And then at the smaller airfield, you can see six jets. So the first thing that's probably going to pop into a novice player's mind is, okay, well, we need to strike the smaller airfield that has six jets. Well, the bigger airfield, let's say it has more hangars. So instead of having the jets out, they're storing them in the hangars. That's where you're going to need to take your PSOs to actually conduct that reconnaissance and find which airbase to go to. Although you can make the easy decision and, and attack the six that are out, there could be 12 hidden in the hangars, for example, that you need to send the PSOs out and gather in, intelligence for. Does that make and sense? For those, yeah, for sure. And for those at home that don't know, uh, PSOs are the, are the paramarine special operators. Um, they're a selective few people that um, have gone through a uh, training exercise, and um, it's very long, and it tests them for their mechanical skill, the game of Arma, and also what they know about how uh, we conduct our tactics as paramarines. Um and generally, they'll do reconnaissance operations uh, every Friday, and it's to know a little bit more about what's going on during the operation. Yeah, it, pretty much they just do blue for, uh, forward reconnaissance. Um, so they'll they'll mark the map for enemy tactical locations, patrol locations. If they see an HVT, if they find intelligence, um, yeah, all uh, forward recon basically. For sure. Um, and so what types of operations do we really do in the PTF? So in the PTF, the types of operations that we do, um, it's going to it's gonna depend, but it has at least some basis on doctrine. So in the military, we call them tactical mission tasks. Um, the platoons are definitely going to be performing some form of tactical mission tasks. So you can have like uh, a tactical mission task could be like an de area denial, for example, basically saying like, hey, do not let any op four units get through this area. First platoon, this is your area of responsibility. So Wade will be like, Wade will tell Shepard and Wade is a company commander. He'll tell Shepard, who's the first platoon leader. He'll say, hey, 
this is the area that we absolutely cannot have the enemy come through. It's your job to now decide from your three squads where you're going to place your three squads so that the enemy does not come through that area. So they have tactical mission tasks like that. Um, They have other um, tactical mission tasks, for example, like occupying a city or uh, taking over a city, um, uh, destroying enemies, that sort of thing. It's it's all going to be based on conventional military operations because we are more of a conventional force. Uh, periodically we will do, um, hearts and mind missions. Um, but I do want to remind people that it is not really the main mission of the Marine Corps to do those sorts of missions. That's more of an army function. Although we still, we, we still employ them because they, they can be very enjoyable to uh, experience. For sure. Um, and I personally do like hearts and minds type missions just because it's, it's very different from what we're used to doing. Um, and no matter what, when you're the same people that are making the same operations after a while, some of those uh, ideas do get recycled. And so, uh, having something that's different to do every now and then like a hearts and minds mission, or just generally, uh, something that's different, uh, and a little more unique can help a ton and making sure people have uh, fun for a, a, a long period of time. Um, and, um, really there, there, there's a lot of really fun operations that we do. Um, and I've been in, I think this, the, the campaign we're going in now, I think it'll be either my fourth or maybe fifth campaign. Um, I was in blue meteor. Uh, no, it'll be my fourth. Um, and I, I really, can't say anything bad about any campaign that I've been in. Um, but a question I have is I, I get how you can make Zeusing fun for the people on the ground, but because I've never been in the air, I've never been a pilot. I don't know how you can make the mission fun for pilots. Um, what do you, what skills do you employ for making the, the pilot sides of things fun? Um, and not too challenging to where you're having uh, aircraft you're, go down left and right. You're uh, you're getting some feedback on your end, um, but what I will say is, um, you know, we don't want to forget our pilots. We know that our pilots have a, a part of the mission, and it needs to be fun for them as well. Uh, however, at the same time, their main priority is as a supporting element to the ground forces. Now, that's not to say that, you know, hey, have fun in ferrying these people in a helicopter back and forth. Um, but like I said before, for me personally, I'm always looking at it from an op four perspective. So, you know, nowadays we're a lot more liberal in doing things like, you know, trying to fill in gaps to make sure that everyone is having fun. Um, but at the same time, if there's no jets to dogfight because the enemy can't afford it or they don't have an air force or something like that, that's a byproduct of the campaign. And that's just something that will be. Um, however, the pilots will probably still have fun uh, because they will definitely be getting TRPs from JTACs on the blue four side. Uh, they'll probably be getting aerial reconnaissance requests. Uh, they'll get strikes for the Harriers, gun runs for the Harriers, for the Hueys, supply drops. They have a lot of things to, uh, to do. Um, 
But at the same time, like I was saying, it is a little more harder to make the operations fun for the pilots uh, with like dogfighting, for example, because it may not make overall sense for there to be a dogfight even um, or for there to be like enemies in the air for them to directly shoot. I would say most of the time for the pilots, it's probably going to be air support to ground. So, you know, fire missions to ground. Um, but the commanders of the unit and S3 does uh, realize the hard work of the pilots. And we try our best without sacrificing the quality of the mission. So, For sure. Um, and at what point would you say... Uh, so you mentioned that some countries couldn't afford to use their air force on, um, you know, a, a, a small invasion of uh, certain towns, that sort of thing. Like, uh, if it's not a key point, but what would you say the point is, like the line from where uh, it it should be used? So where fighters should be used, even if they are, you know, in short supply. Um, at what point would you say that it's worth it? to use those fighters and start, you know, doing dogfight. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're talking about a country that has very little fighters, like for example, North Korea or Cuba, um, or like, let's say I, I'm not sure if Pakistan has a lot of fighters or not, but uh, just, just those examples of, of two communist countries that don't really have too many jets. Um, you're probably going to have to take into considerations that, an op four commander would be making. Um, and what I mean by that is like, if you're fighting against the North Koreans and you are about to take Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea, they're probably going to use their fighters at that, at that point, because I mean, that's, that's their capital. That's the most strategic of, of strategic objectives. Um, if you are about to kill or about to attack the base that has the commander of you know the entire uh, battalion tactical group or or the brigade commander or even one of their generals yeah there'll probably be uh, jets used there moving away from people uh, let's say that uh, you know blue four may be gaining air superiority over a target that contains all of the tanks of the North Korean army um, they're probably going to use their fighters for that so it has to be something that makes sense. We don't want to do it if it, if it doesn't make sense because we know that the pilots can still have fun without engaging a target in the air. So that that's definitely very interesting. I've, I've always wondered what that line is. Um, and especially more recently, um, I've become a JTAC for first platoon. Um, and so now I'm having to think a little bit more about air and, uh, what Mac 36, which is Marine Aircraft Group 36, that is our air element in the Paramarine Task Force. Um, I'm thinking more about what they have to do and what they, what, where they are and uh, what they're doing at that point in time. I'm I'm on the uh, cast net and the transport net at all times, and I'm hearing every airstrike that gets called in. Um, I'm hearing every helicopter that touches down for a, uh, a reinsert and there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, and so uh, I, I can definitely tell that when it comes to that sort of thing, there's a lot that goes into it when it, for uh, on like the side of things. Um, 
But George, I do have to ask what your PTF, your favorite PTF moment is. Yeah, we're still getting some feedback on your side. Um, but Sorry in terms that. of what was that? Sorry about that. Yeah, you're good. Um, my favorite PTF moment. Um, one that I'll always remember um, was a campaign that I did not uh, Zeus. Uh, it was when I was first starting as the uh, second platoon LAR platoon sergeant. Um, and this video has, uh, this, this actual scenario has been encompassed, uh, in video on my YouTube channel. Um, it's a YouTube short, but basically there was an HV, there's a, there's an HVT inside of the town of Fallujah. I can't remember exactly what, what campaign it was. Uh, but there was an HVT inside that town that was basically hopping in an SUV and driving away. Uh, we needed to capture this guy and we were following him with a drone uh, second platoon, which encompassed like five or six. No, I think it was like three or four of us at most. The guy was driving towards us and we basically cordoned off the entire city. So he would have to go to somebody and he came to us. So we hopped in our fucking Humvee and followed this dude, tried to shoot out his tires, whatever. We hopped out of the Humvee and went to like run and chase and gun him down. And we walked right straight and smack dab in the middle of an ambush. And it was basically a fucking... You ever you ever see Black Hawk down and you have the scene where like they're in the they're in the helicopter that went down and it's like two mm-hmm. or three dudes versus the entire fucking block. That was that scenario. And that was a even though we died and lost, it was very well played. And I think Wade was the one who actually Zeus that operation uh, or Petty, some one of those mm-hmm. two. It was very it was very well played and it was it was very fun, even though we lost. For sure. Um, and for me, um, mine's a little bit taboo. And I think I'm kind of a, uh, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm a good cautionary tale, but I, I am a good cautionary tale. Um, so there are certain allegations that uh, I may or may not have planted evidence on a civilian at some point that was deceased um, and said he had to go. Um, but uh, I, I had a whole tribunal and uh, I was found guilty, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I know I, I, I know about that scenario. Not only did I see it as a, uh, did I see like the tribunal unfold and <laughs> I was there. But I was actually the one who role played the civilian that was shot <laughs> and that had the gun planted on him. So uh, I didn't um, shoot you. Hey, I didn't shoot you, man. Well, apparently um, the court documents say otherwise. <laughs> um, but I mean, that was a pretty great uh, experience, and it, it's just stuff like that in the PTF, or it, it, it's not common. Um, but it's just, uh, I did something wrong, and instead of just everybody calling me stupid, um, I mean, like, I was, it was kind of a joke, and at the same time, it was very, uh, uh, don't do this ever again. But it was, also, it was kind of funny, that sort of a thing. Yeah, because you don't, um, you don't hop on Arma and, and anticipate yeah. that you're going to be in front of a, a PTF tribunal for something that happened yeah. a week ago. 
right? Yeah, and, I, and I managed to stream that too. So I have the clip on YouTube and everything. And uh, <laughs> that was pretty great. Um, but I, I have one last question for you. And mm-hmm. um, it's if you had to get your friend into the PTF, what would you say? If I had to get my friend into the PTF, what would I say? Um, well, I would say uh, if you're tired of playing Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, um, if you're tired of playing King of the Hill on Arma, like if you want something that's more of a community of people who are looking to play as a team, as an organized team, then the Paramarines is, is where you need to be. Um, if you're looking for something that's more realistic, right here. That's, that's, that's what I would say. Definitely. And I mean, um, the, so the PTF, uh, we have realism when he ha- and we have fun and we're able to fuse them together, which is fantastic. Um, and really with the PTF, um, I mean, we did, we have a certain sort of, um, we're able to kind of make things happen that aren't really uh, realistic for the simple fact that we aren't a real unit um, in real life. Um, which I think helps us a ton. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree with you there. Um yeah, I think I think the PTF is something unique, and that's why we've been a- around for so long. I mean, we've been around since 2017. Yeah, and obviously we we, we took that break there, um, but the, the PTF has been going strong for a long, long time. Um, and thank you everybody for watching or listening at home. Um, th- we are slowly starting to shift into longer episodes. Um, and this is just sort of uh, uh this is one of the first episodes where it's gonna be a little bit longer and um I'm working on adding new content and uh, we will have new hosts or at least a new host. Um unfortunately White stepped down and so uh, uh Macintosh will actually be replacing her and uh it'll be Macintosh, myself and McAllister uh being the hosts. Um like I said, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Thank you, uh, George, for uh, doing this interview with me. Of course. And um, yeah, if, if anybody wants to join the unit, um, you can join us at www.paramarines.com. Uh, just make an application and then uh, join the Discord. And one of us recruiters will be happy to assist you uh, and join the PTF. And we have a lot of different slots open right now. And so, uh, really, if you want to do it, you can. And um, I just want to cut in here, too. Well, like I said earlier, if you've been playing Call of Duty and you've been playing Rainbow Six Siege or even Battlefield and you feel like, or even Counter-Strike, and you feel like you're playing a part of a team, you have no idea until you play Arma the way that we do. Definitely. definitely. We're a, we're very different. Um, and, George, are there spots open right now for Zeusy? Um That... I information I am not privy to um, that you'd have to ask thunder. All right. Um, and thank you very much for watching and everybody. Uh, and like I said, if you want to join the PTF, you're more than welcome to, and I can even assist you personally on getting that done. 
Uh, thank you for listening and have a great day. All right. Have a good one, guys.